and welcome to another episode of Podcast on Fifth Ave. I'm Taylor, you're Danny. We have we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. Last night, the Penguins play the Islanders, uh, and it was the same script, different day. <laughs> this this Islanders series has been. Uh, first of all, I the most surprising stat for me was that this is the first time the Islanders have swept a regular season series against the Penguins in their 50-year history because it feels like the Islanders always give the Penguins trouble, right? Yeah, that, that was extremely hard to believe, but uh, I I think the the most predictable thing that could have happened was exactly what happened in the Penguins blowing that game Thursday night. It played out, like you mentioned, the exact same way each of the games they've played, specifically the previous two games that they played against the Islanders, where they dominated large stretches or, or even pretty much like 55 minutes of the game like it was Thursday night, and then all of a sudden the wheels just utterly fell off. It, and I know I know it is like a, an Islanders thing as well, but we've seen that just throughout the regular season in general from these Penguins where they'll put together 20, 30, 40 good minutes and then like the rest of the time it's just like oh my god and you know Mike Sullivan anybody in hockey will tell you it's a game of momentum like it's it's nearly impossible for you to dominate a whole game or play exactly the way you want to play for the entirety of a game but I there's got to be some sort of middle ground here between (laughs) that and what the Penguins have been doing when they have had the wheels fall off. Yeah, it just seems like the Islanders bring out the worst in the Penguins. Like the, the the bad maybe habits or things we've seen pop up in the Penguins season throughout this season, just they all come out when they play the Islanders. So, you know, like the Penguins aren't going to play the Islanders again this season. Um, very slim chance they meet in the playoffs, just given where they both are in a while. They, it would probably be in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, if, if at all. So it's not like they need to figure out how to beat the Islanders, but I think the Islanders games are just um, – symptom of larger problems. Uh, I mean, early goals have been a problem in a lot of these Islanders games. You go back to the, the first one, um, December 27th on Long Island, Anders Lee scored like 63 seconds in. Um, power play has been a problem against the Islanders. They were, the Penguins are one for nine in these four games. Um, goaltending, uh, subpar goaltending. I have a number here somewhere. So Sorokin started in all four games against the Penguins, um, 9.32 save percentage. Jari started in three of them. Casey started in one of them. They combined for an 8.62 save percentage against the Islanders. That's uh, that's not good enough. But, uh, yeah, and like you said, the, the blown leads. Um, so the first game, they didn't blow a lead because they were awful the entire game. That's the one where they lost 5-1 to one at the time. It was their worst game of the season. But, I mean, these last three, um, they – they, ha- they had leads going into the third period. They had two goal leads at one point in all of them. Um, this one they at least got a point out of, but there's no no one's taking any pride in that, just given, um, you know, like the, the last two games where they, they blew these leads. Like you said, they, they played well, at least the first 40 minutes, you know, even longer. The lock, the move in the locker room after those losses, it was like, well, we like the way we played. That wasn't the case last night. Um Right. Um, and, because, and, and, yeah. Yeah. And then you look, especially these last couple games, you look at the lineup that the Islanders have been putting out there and it's <laughs> just like, 
the, the Penguins are and like you expect the Penguins to do what they did for the first 55 minutes of that game and, and really control territory and, and take it to the Islanders. And, and honestly, it was Sorokin keeping Islanders in that game for the most part, other than the Penguins just beating themselves at the end. Um, but and I, we, we can get into this in, the, in our next segment, too. But then you look and you've got your new acquisition, Mikhail Granlin's getting beat down the slot at the net front for a tap in for a guy named Hudson Fashing. Like, <laughs> What is, what is what is going on? When you're saying, like, look at this Islanders lineup, I was about to say, like, like who is Hudson Fashing? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, like when Dan and I did the 24-7 after the game, Dan was like, couldn't remember the guy's name, and he was like, Fats and Hudging. Like, I was like, <laughs> 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 That's, but I mean, like, uh, even, like, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, they're good players, but when they play the Penguins, it's, like if you if you're a Penguins fan and that's all you see, it's like oh they're prop what they're, they got to be like perennial scoring title you know, contenders. I have I have those numbers too. Lee finished the series with seven goals and an assist in four games. Nelson had five goals and four assists in the four games. Nelson had at least two points in every game. Just insane because I mean, like I said, they're good players, but they're not this good. No, they're not. It's so bizarre too, because like you you know, every time you see the Islanders on the schedule, you're like, all right, we got to get like the <laughs> the guaranteed Nelson goal out of the way. We got to get the guaranteed Lee goal out of the way. I, I was surprised. Uh, I, I don't know his numbers for the season series, but it, it at least seemed like Kyle Palmieri was a little quiet against the Penguins this year, and that typically was isn't the case. He typically seems to be a Penguins killer as well. So, um, but yeah, it's it's honestly just inexplicable and then uh, I, I don't even want to get into it let's let's transition <laughs> <laughs> well I mean so yeah good time to switch over to the, the power play like I said the power play you know just a symptom of, of larger problems um the Islanders have brought out the Penguins so they went one for nine um in the season series and the Islanders um on the power play but the power play has been you know pretty bad for well they've been streaky all season but they've been definitely in, in one of the lulls one of the ruts and and Dayan asked Sullivan after the game, "Are you considering changes on the power play?" And you know, I feel like sometimes you can ask Sullivan questions like that about like personnel decisions, and he'll give you like, you know, we're going to put together the best lineup roster we can to give us the best chance to win. You know, one of one of those lines. But he emphatically was like, "No, we're not considering personnel changes." Um, and I thought it was interesting that he brought up that the. the um, since January 1st, he said the Penguins have the third best expected goals in the league on the power play and looked it up after. They actually do. It's like 22. That's not a rate. That's just a flat number, but it is number, uh, it is number three in the league. He was right. When you look at the rate, um, it's actually seventh, which is still pretty good, but it just, the goals just aren't going in. So what's, what's happening? Yeah, um, I I think there's a larger team problem at hand within that that's maybe not specific to the power play, and that's dating back to the beginning of last season. The Penguins have had finishing issues in the sense that they've been a team um, that generates a ton of expected goals and, and gets a lot of those high-danger chances from around the net, from the doorstep, and in the heart of the slot, but they haven't had the greatest success converting on those chances, and they've actually been you know a bottom 10 league in terms 
of converting based on what they're expected to convert on. So like at five on five this season, uh, I think the Penguins are, are third for the entire year at the, in the rate at which they generate expected goals. But then you look at their actual goal scoring rate and they're like middle of the pack. So um, you, you look at the power play and they kind of, it's kind of the same thing there where they're really good at getting those chances in tight on, and, and it's on occasion too. So the, the other point that I was going to bring up is that when they're bad, they're extremely bad. Like they can't even get set up in the zone. And I know Sullivan talked about, well, there was that one chance we had against the Islanders where they had, you know, a significant amount of zone time and, and what have you. But it seems like if they lose that opening draw for the power play, it's just, it's, completely unravels for them. The, the drop, the drop pass, um, breakout and transition into the offensive zone has just teams are sitting on it. I, f- I feel like we might've touched on this on in another episode, but teams just sit on it and they're so predictable with the way they try and gain the offensive zone and transition the puck up ice because, um, whoever it may be that's coming out of the defensive zone isn't most of the time, not even acting like they're going to try and gain the offensive blue line, right? So teams are just stacking it up and sitting on that drop pass. And then you've got one guy with momentum that's skating straight into a wall while the rest of your teammates are basically standing there waiting for the puck to get into the zone. So I think these are all kind of some of the issues that are culminating here. Um, and on top of that, going back to what you said uh, with Sullivan and that the Penguins are, are third on the power play and expected goals since the start of the, the, the new year is that I'm a, I was a little curious that they're looking at that in just raw form and not the rate, like you mentioned, because you look at the rate and you said they were seventh or, or whatever they are. Um, I, I am fully aware that NHL coaches have a lot more information than I do and are a heck of a lot smarter than I do because I wouldn't be sitting about here, sitting here talking about it. I'd be doing it. But it was a little curious to me that he mentioned that raw because there's some teams could have significantly more or less power play time than them. And that just kind of sends me down into a thought loop of, okay, well, what about like a five on five or full strength or just when they're analyzing individual players, are they just looking at this as like a flat, like blanket total here? Are they actually like adjusting for contextual factors like ice time and, and those other factors? So I, I, that honestly just kind of sent me down a, a whole other line of thinking here that we could go on forever. Yeah. And I mean, going back to the the personnel, I mean, it would help too if they had like a good net front presence, like like a Hornquist type back when Hornquist was like good in that role. Because I mean, the first unit of Jake, who is definitely not a Hornquist type in that role, he, right. he does it differently than Hornquist. He's more mobile than someone like Hornquist, but he's not, you know, as strong as feet heavy like a horn was the second unit you have jeff carter but i don't think anyone's going to say that the answer is moving jeff carter up to the top unit because uh, you also have to have hands it really doesn't um <laughs> but i mean like i don't even know if any maybe maybe like if you were to consider personnel changes maybe put petrie up to the top unit just because he when he was there you were seeing more pucks get through maybe just try a zucker on, on the top unit just with the how good he's been playing overall lately but other than that i mean the roster is the roster. <laughs> it's not like there's there's a whole lot of guy there's a whole lot of options here. 
Yeah, the the one thing I, I probably would consider is swapping Gensel for Zucker. And I know I'm not sitting here saying that Zucker's a better goal scorer than Gensel is or, or that he's a better player or anything like that. Um, but Gensel, like his power play production, especially his, his goal scoring production on the power play this year has basically just been nothing like compared to what you would expect for the guys he's playing with and, and just the sheer amount of ice time that he has had. Um, and like you mentioned, he's not really a net front guy and there's not really another spot when you've got Latang, Crosby, and Malkin out there that you can really put him. Um, and another thing is that a lot of the times when the top unit is struggling, it's because they just won't skate pucks down deep in the zone and they won't hunt them down. And that's something that Zucker excels at. So maybe he could bring them a little energy in that regard. Um, but if if there isn't going to be personal personnel changes, I think you just have to look at changing up your tactics a little bit. Right. Yeah. I think Ricard Raquel. And I, again, I know he's out there with Crosby, Malk and Latang, but Ricard Raquel has a phenomenal shot. And I feel like it's extremely underutilized over at the opposite circle of Malkin. Um, and I, I actually asked him about this a little earlier in the season. I was like, it seems like you haven't really utilized your one timer a whole lot out there. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm really more so out there for support to just kind of stop them from transitioning the puck or, or uh, dumping the puck out of the zone and then, you know, retrieving pucks when I can to get the puck to those guys. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's that's clearly working really well. <laughs> you know who has a great one-timer on the power play? It's Valtteri Pusinen. Uh, down in Wolfsbury, he's like a tiny Finnish Ovechkin, like parking himself at the left. So maybe he's more mobile, you know, because Ovechkin we've seen, like, will just – stand there and not move his feet. Pustin will move a little bit more, but yeah, he's firing off one-timers from the left circle. can't remember if they talked about this last week, but like Wilkes-Barre had their father's trip, um, you know, recently. And so they had their dad, they had a dab skate after a practice and like all, all the players and their dads are like skating around doing laps, having a fun time. Valtteri Pustin and his dad were feeding each other one-timers. <laughs> so I don't know, but uh, it would be nice if we could see Valtteri Pustin up here. Uh, maybe maybe he could help on the power play. But anyway, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back, uh, talk about some of the new acquisitions. We are going to talk about Alex Nylander, but uh, stay with us uh, for the next segment. And before we get into the next little uh, subject, I just want to congratulate Evgeny Malkin, who is now the Penguins' all-time sole possession of the Penguins' all-time franchise record in penalty minutes. Um, he, he tied it, uh, Kevin Stevens, with uh, 1,048 in Florida. What a moment. And then, and then he surpassed it uh, last night against the Islanders. Has a thousand fifty now. Anders Lee scored on the power play, so that kind of ruined his little moment. But um, we'll, we'll just conveniently forget that part. Yeah, I don't know. When when Malkin retires, maybe it'll give him like a little piece of the the, the bench of the penalty box or put a little <laughs> plaque in there. Because yeah, historic moment for the franchise. Sidney Crosby actually, I looked into it. He's he's in tenth place. 777 so not too far behind um, if, if if he would have kept up his uh his penalty frequency from his first few seasons he would have got there for sure or i was even gonna say what he was doing out west in california with all the, uh, all the little twerps out there like when his moment in, in the king's game when he got the misconduct and then when he like shoved trevor zegris for no reason yeah um, yeah, he's pretty close to passing um, Gary Rissling and off Samuelson. The only time you'll have all three of those guys mentioned in the same breath. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, we're going to talk about the Penguins uh, trade deadline acquisition. Something we actually got to see them uh, play in a few games. 
uh, sorry, Dmitry Kulikov. He's playing too. He didn't play in the game in Florida after they got him just because he didn't get there in time. Um, but he's he's played these last two games. Uh, so the, the the first game he played, um, they had to dress seventy. Just the circumstances, rust, baby. The same time Grandland gets got sick, they got to play in those better. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but then you know th- this last game, he was you know third pairing uh, with Ruda bumping Joseph out of the lineup. I I just in general. Um, I, I don't I don't know if Kulikov. I would just rather see Joseph in the lineup um, over over him. I I think also if if you look at like the results of the pairing with Ruda, Joseph hasn't been great with Ruda. Kulikov hasn't been great with Ruda. Joseph was good with Chad though. So I don't know what the answer yeah. is because you're you're not going to see like Kulikov and Ruda come out of the lineup, but. Yeah, I'm glad you started that since we got a couple of uh, comments last week that said I was the grump or, or that I was grumpy or a little upset because uh, my sentiments are not going to change too much this week. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think Kulikov is fine, uh, especially for what they're paying him. Like, he they can get by with him on the third pairing playing a, a defensive role. Um, but like you said... I, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish here with one, having Joseph out of the lineup, but two, putting Kulikov on a pairing with Ruda because mm-hmm. both of those guys are like bigger guys that you have out there, like pure defense. I know Kulikov's talked about like, yeah, I want to contribute offensively, but he's not, he's not an offensive guy. That's not what the Penguins acquired him for. And they're certainly not deploying him in an offensive manner. So then you look and you've got uh, you've you've got two defensive defensemen on your on your third pairing, which over the past few seasons the Penguins have had a, a Joseph or a, or a Matheson on that bottom pairing that they could kind of generate quite a bit of maybe not goals like I talked about like they have had in the last segment they have had some of those finishing issues but they've at least been able to control possession a little bit against lower level competition with their third pairing because they've had somebody there driving a little bit of offense from the back end and I I was talking with my dad about this and I I just genuinely was like what are they trying to get out of Kulikov and Ruta together because neither of those guys are transitioning the puck up ice all that much. Neither of them are all that active in the offensive zone. And my dad's in there. He's like, yeah, well, they just want like a shutdown pairing. And I'm like, okay, but there's, there's, there's more to hockey and being a shutdown pairing than literally just posting up in your defensive zone and like flexing your muscle, if you will. There's so much more to that. I, I, I just keep going back. Yes, Joseph has his defensive issues, but I think they're immensely offset by what he's been bringing to the table by getting the puck out of the defensive zone and then creating offense in the offensive zone. So yeah. uh, I don't know that it's it's really an issue with Kulikov. Like I said, he's fine, but the, just the, the personnel that they have in hand and then the, the usage and deployment of that personnel isn't making a whole lot of sense to me right now. If you ask my dad, he'd say put Mark Friedman on the top pairing. Big Mark Friedman, but uh, cool. So uh, Brian Burke was on the Wilkesbury broadcast on on Wednesday. He goes to Wilkesbury a lot, actually, and a lot of times when he's out there, he'll go on like the radio TV broadcast and and you know do a, do a little interview with the, with Nick Hart, uh, the PR broadcast guy down there, and on Kulikov. Um, well, first of all, he said they wanted they they thought they needed to add a defenseman. Obviously, now they have ten kind of NHL caliber defenseman that's including Ty Smith who's hurt. Um, but uh, he did say that the year they, they won in Anaheim from the period of the 
trade deadline to the end of the season, they went through 10 defensemen um, just with injuries and stuff like that. So, like, that was part of the reasoning why, which is just crazy to me. But, like, I don't – cool. I, I, I got to jump in right here and just – that was in uh, 2007 that the Ducks won the Cup, yeah? Yeah. It's very on, that's very on-brand for how this team <laughs> is being ran right now. Well, and so his quote was um, – we think we needed to add a depth defenseman and Dmitry Kulikov is a guy who's had a great career. And then he paused, he said, not a great career, good career. Which <laughs> that he was like, well, let me walk that back. He hasn't been that great. But, like, but adding a depth defenseman, like that, this is not a depth defenseman. This is someone that's actually playing. Um, I, this is not like going out and acquiring like a Nathan Bolu like they did, they did last year. But right. uh, so he said, not a great career, good career, but he's had a little re- uh, renaissance last year and a half or so. His play level off and really picked up, we think, the last year and a half, which <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't, again, I don't, I, I guess looking at the priorities of this trade deadline, I don't think Dmitry Kulikov. Um, now, but you also have to remember that trade, they did unload Brock McGinn, which is just huge for the next two years. So, right. That, yeah. I, again, I, I didn't have a problem with getting out from under McGinn. I, I thought that was tidy work. And I, I also don't mind having defensive depth. Like you, you remember when the Penguins won in 2017, like they had, they had Mark Strait riding the pine when they won the cup. And uh, he would have been a guy who, when he did get in, I, I don't remember him getting in at all during the postseason or much during the postseason. I know he did play a handful of games, but like when he got in there, I thought he was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have an issue with, um, um, you, you know, having extra guys on the back end. Um, and, and we've seen, we know these Penguins, they, they the injury bug tends to hit at, at the worst possible time. So having the fail safe for that is, is whatever. Um, and I, I guess if they weren't going to use that cap space on another acquisition, like he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, he'll probably be gone. Um, but it all just keeps coming back to there's yet another young player who is who's not perfect, but bring you something maybe most importantly some youthful energy and speed that is now on the up in the press box in favor of another bigger older slower guy yeah i know people were saying you know i like i saw a bunch of tweets like oh like great way to kill po joseph's confidence or you know stuff like that i don't i'm not really concerned about with po just knowing po i don't think it's impossible to like knock him down like that he has the greatest attitude all the time like he's the most positive guy around even when you know he's go- he's gone through a lot like going back to training camp when we didn't even know if he'd be on the roster if he might be right. traded if he might be waived maybe claimed uh never lost his smile during that i mean even going back to wilkesbury when he was going through like tough times you know when he made his pro debut in wilkesbury he like immediately got mono um, which for a guy who needs to put on, you know, he lost 15 pounds from that. And like for a guy that his issues needing to put on weight, you'd think that'd be like devastating. He's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I talked, I remember talking to him like during that time, um, just the most positive guy. So I'm not worried about this, like kind of killing his confidence. Um, I'm sure he'd like to be in the lineup, but he's, he's not yeah. beaten down over it. Moving on. Uh, Mikhail Granlund. Um, he's played a couple of games now. We've seen him, uh, He's at center now, um, third line. Jeff Carter gets moved over to the wing. Um, he, I don't know what his face-off numbers ended up being last night, but when I looked at it after the second period, they were pretty good. Um, you mentioned Granlund getting beat um, You know, the one, last night on the one goal. I, I thought on the PK, though, maybe the, his best game that we've seen. Because um, he's, he's been on the PK since he started, but he's, he's gotten a, a lot more comfortable in that role. Um he had a couple of big clears, but he had the, the shorthanded chance. So I thought I thought he was, you know, a big help 
there, especially given, you know, the guys they lost, like Teddy again. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the biggest problem here is that we're talking about a, a $5 million per season acquisition who, and we're sitting here talking about his, his PK clears. Like that, <laughs> that's probably, that's probably a problem when that's the lead. Um, and, and again, I, I'm, Every every bad thing I say in regard to Granlin is not necessarily about him, the person or the player, and more so about the insanity of acquiring him and the contract that he carries. Um, but he's, at least in my eyes, he's largely been what I expected him to bring. We've, we've seen a little bit of that nifty passing ability that, that he possesses and, and displayed when he was with Nashville and Minnesota. Um, but at the same time, we've seen that that hasn't, doesn't necessarily translate into a whole lot of offense when his team is on the ice. Um, because one, he doesn't shoot much at all. He it took until his third game, that that Islanders game Thursday night, for him to register his first shot on goal, which did end up being a, a high danger chance from right and tight, which which was great. Um, but again, we're we're looking at three games here for you to get your first shot on goal, and it's like. I get that there's more to hockey than just shooting the puck, right? But you're paying a guy $5 million a season for another two seasons, and it took three games for him to get his first shot on goal. And I know he was sick, um, I, and I know that you know they're using him on the penalty kill, and, the, and it, he's an upgrade on the third line, but it's just like – Man, and the other the other bizarre thing to me is that Hextall and Sullivan have both talked about like the the defensive conscience that he brings. And when I was doing my film review of his of some of his work in Nashville and like the his defensive impacts this year, literally have him as like a replacement level uh, defensive guy. Like they're they're not fond of of his ability uh, to suppress chances at all. And what I saw when I was looking through film is that he just has a lot of lapses in coverage in the defensive zone it's it's not so much an effort thing or like that he's not trying he literally just gets lost out there sometimes or like we saw in the fashion goal he just got beat and bodied so it's 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 looking more and more like a tough pill to swallow and the fact that he was the main deadline addition is is honestly just not encouraging yeah, I think if he were making like $3 million um, of yeah. like national have retained salary, then no one would really have an, an issue with this. But yeah, right. was, the salary is a big part of it. Um, I did think it was interesting. Uh, Burke, when again, when he was on that, the Wilkes-Barre show, he said they tried to get Granlin last year. Um, I, I just want to know like, like when, like was was he the initial target and like was Raquel the backup? Because remember Raquel was like right at the end of the dead deadline. Like, that came out at like six o'clock or something like late. Um, yeah, it, it was all. I also found that interesting too because when Hextall said that after his post deadline press conference, but he said it was a couple of deadlines ago, which would have been the deadline that they acquired Carter. So have they been going after which, Granlin for years? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. If they had gotten Granlin two years ago, like that probably would have been pretty good. Like he he was at, at the time he was he was a significantly better player than what he has shown this season and last. Yeah. Yeah, and also the Burke quote, he said, everyone says it makes, on, on Grand Line, he says, everyone ma- says it makes your bottom six forwards better. I think it makes your top seven forwards better. We view him as a top six guy that can help out. He can do any job on a hockey team. Um, yeah, every, I, every, <laughs> everyone keeps saying that except for everyone. That, yeah, that's, what, like, that's the thing. Like, Burke's like, well, everyone says, you know, who? Like, who, who, is, who is the everyone? But um, definitely... Up, upgrades the third line, but uh, yeah, bigger picture, not uh, not right. sure. Um, and then Nick Benino, I mean, Nick, Nick Benino is Nick Benino. I think everyone kind of know what you're getting. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, like I saw the Burt quote on him too. 
he says Nick Benino, everybody knows. Nick brings a veteran presence. He can kill penalties. He's a quality person, which is like the last things you need. Like the, the oldest team in the league needs another veteran presence. Um, and then he can kill penalties, which and like we're going back to acquiring more penalty killers at the deadline. Just I. This management is like so obsessed with extremely niche niche and situational hockey factors like the number of times I, I can't say I've ever heard Hextall talk about like puck possession or like wall battles in the offensive zone or anything but by golly he will make sure to let you know how valuable it is to be able to throw a left and right shot center on the ice for a D zone draw at the same time he fills a role that, that's the line everyone yeah he, fill, he fills a role if, if you fill a role doesn't matter what that, <laughs> that role is, but if you do have a role, like you're, you got a spot on this hockey team. Um, Nick Benino, uh, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I uh, and, and we were talking a little bit about this before the show, but I've just been a little surprised at like how little he's played. And like, I know they've been using him as a fourth liner, um, but his ice time is like almost suggesting that Sullivan, like, is basically just using him as a body like penguins fans joke a lot about like when guys like jonathan gruden get called up and then they go out there and get like five or six minutes of ice time and it's like oh like sully hates the young guys and like all that kind of stuff but it's like Benino's not getting a, a bunch of ice time either and he's he's reached his third game here so i'm obviously and he, he'll even tell you he's still trying to get back up into the into the system and the swing of things here but it's i guess it was just it's been a little curious to me to see that they haven't even really tinkered around a whole lot other than that one game where they had to throw him up on on malkin's wing for a little bit um that they haven't really explored giving him more ice time especially with the way carter's been playing like i know he had that one good game where he looked okay um but again we've got how much evidence now suggesting that he needs to be up in the press box not playing hockey anymore um and when Benino has been on the ice I, I think he's been fine um I, I looked at his I looked at his individual event map from natural stat trick um that shows um all of his individual events when he was on the ice for like a given game it'll show you like where he took his, his shot locations where he threw hits where he got hit his takeaways his block shots and against the islanders the only two things were on the entire map where he just got hit along the offensive blue line twice like up against the boards and that was it so it's like you're you're getting what you're getting with benito yeah not much to talk about with him the most interesting part of his his second stint here so far was um, that game bef- the before the game in Florida when we actually got to talk to him and he was asked uh, how, how, how life has changed for him off the ice since uh, he last played for the Penguins and he's like well I'm fully bald now <laughs> um, that was like the most interesting thing to happen so far and, and Nick Panino's second uh, little sit here that's enough of that we're going to take another break uh, we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about Alex Nylander because that's all anyone wants to talk about right now so stay with us And we are back. Earlier this week, Penguins recalled Alex Nylander. He made his Penguins debut um, in the in the in the game against the Blue Jackets. It was an emergency recall. They're kind of forced to, um, you know, no extra forwards. Granlund got sick. Russ and his wife had their second son, Logan. Um, so Granlund came up. They had, so they did have to dress, you know, eleven forwards. 
70 in that game, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, you covered that game against the Blue Jackets. Just to start off, what, what were your impressions of Nylander in that game? Uh, um, so I, I went into that game fully aware of how strong of a season he was having down in the AHL, but I was also fully aware that he is now 25 years old. He is basically not a prospect anymore. He fizzled out with two other NHL teams earlier in his career. Um, and, and really, aside from a, a, a smidgen of optimism, I was basically convinced that even if this guy is, is an NHL player, that he's probably nothing all that significant or a guy that you really need to have in your lineup. And and specifically because of reasons that were brought up by Sullivan and um, guys like JD Forrest earlier in the year and during training camp um, with concerns about his pace of play, meaning not necessarily just how fast he skates, but how fast he makes um how fast he processes the game, how fast he gets a puck off his stick, how fast he gets his shots off, things like that. And then his defensive work as well. So I went into this game with all of that in mind, but I was still very, very intrigued um, to see what he would bring to the table. I left that game immediately thinking that he needs to be in the lineup for a stretch of games here to for the Penguins to really figure out what kind of player he is. I was extremely, extremely impressed um, with his game. Um, obviously, we, we know, he, I think it's 50 points for him in, in 54 AHL games this year. We know um, that he's got some offensive prowess. He was a former top 10 pick. Um, and, and I thought that was on, all on display. Um, but the things that really stood out to me is that when the Penguins were down by multiple goals early, um, I, it's not all that uncommon for a player, especially one who's trying to prove himself in, in that kind of situation, to go out there and try and do too much or force plays that aren't there or, um, you know, try and jump out of their comfort zone to really stand out. Well, Nylander didn't do that at all. I thought that he was very, very poised with the puck, uh, especially when the team around him wasn't wasn't playing all that great. He was hanging on to pucks. He was looking for that next play. Um, and he, he was very deceptive, too, with the puck on his stick. There were a couple of times where he, like, baited defenders along the wall to open up space for his line mates. Um, but more importantly, going back to his pace and his defensive play, there were uh, several instances where he was acting as F3 or um, the, the third forward on the four check where he was kind of the high guy up near the blue line or even in a couple of cases out in the neutral zone where he was the last guy back and he did a fantastic job of not only being quick in doing so, but taking like phenomenal angles up from the middle of the ice to the wall to kind of seal the puck carrier off so that they had nowhere to go and would have either had the double back or relinquish possession with a dump, which they did in several instances. And that, that is huge. Like that's, that's the kind of thing. Like he has the offense to stick in the NHL. I think those are the kinds of things that he's going to need to do to stick. And he did it several occasions. I thought he was engaged. There was a one play where he like immediately jumped off the bench on the fly and the guy behind him darted to the back door and he tracked them the whole way and broke up a tap in. So I was extremely impressed with him. Uh, I, like I already said, I, I definitely think, and we probably will at some point, if I had to guess, see him back up with the Penguins. But I am of the opinion that they need to give him at least a handful of games here to see what they have in him. And if he continues to play this way or the way he did against the Blue Jackets, he's absolutely someone that can help them down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, looking back to last year when they acquired um, him from Chicago in the Lafferty trade, it was like his his effort was was something that you know he had a bad reputation or his effort maybe like his attitude when it comes to 
um, his play on both sides of the pucks. So like it was something like he didn't think he needed to do. As soon as when he, you know, he came in, JD, JD Forrest, I remember talking to him about Nylander and he didn't see any of that from Nylander, like a, like a bad attitude when it came to that kind of stuff or effort being a concern. Whenever I talked to Nylander too, and he was like, yeah, I don't know. I have that reputation. Like I, I know that it's important to play, you know, to have a strong play on both sides of the puck. But this year, um, you know, both he and, and JD have said that, you know, there isn't an increased focus to, to that play away from the puck and not just his offensive game. Um, JD's talked about him being like more physical um, this season, how he had like more hits in the last month than, than he had all last season, um, stuff like that. So, um, I mean, it's, it's that, that kind of um, play that got him, got him the call up. Uh, now he did get sent back down. And I know as soon as it happened, everyone was losing their minds on Twitter because, like you said, he did have a good game. You'd like to see him stay up. But it makes sense to me, and I also would like to see more Nylander. But just knowing the roster situation, the cap situation, so just – I feel this is like a it's – very, it's very complicated. I feel like there's a bunch of, like, side tangents of, like, why this had to happen. But basically, Nylander – so to start – from the time of the trade deadline to the end of the regular season, you have four standard recalls. Team to make four standard recalls. So non-emergency. You have unlimited emergency recalls, four standard recalls. And also, uh, we talked about to be eligible to go down to the AHL for the rest of the season, you have to be on an AHL roster at the time of the trade deadline. So the Penguins papered O'Connor down for the trade deadline, just in case there's how Wilkes-Barre happens to make a longer playoff run than, than Pittsburgh does, and O'Connor can go down there. But then you have to use one of your standard recalls to bring O'Connor back up. So the Penguins are down to three for the rest of the season. Nylander was on emergency recall because, like we said, Granlund, sick, Russ, baby. Um, emergency recalls are used when you have fewer than 12 forwards, 62 goalies. They do count against the cap. So they were able to afford Nylander cap-wise um, because they put Palin on long-term IR. Um, they had $712,000 in cap space, not enough to fit Nylander's 750, but you, you long-term IR paling this 750. Now you can afford Nylander. But when you activate paling from long-term IR, you're not going to be able to afford Nylander, not for a couple days because you can bank cap space and they were, so at the time they put, when you're using long-term IR, this is what I said, how there's like a million side tangents to this. When you're using long-term IR, you're not banking any cap space. So when Palin comes off long tomorrow, they will bank cap space again. Now, the time he went on long tomorrow, they were about five days from being able to afford Nylander without the standard recall. So, putting this all together, you could have converted Nylander's emergency recall to a standard recall and you could have afforded him, you know, for yesterday. But when Palin comes off long tomorrow, he would have had to go back down. Either him or O'Connor, those are your only two options because they were the only two guys who were on the AHL roster at the time of the trade deadline. And if I can jump in here just real quick, uh, I think it's important just to mention, you cannot just leave a player on long-term IR. Like if they they are healthy and ready to go, it's not like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to leave you there a little bit longer so we can can see what we have in Nealander. Like you have to activate them. That's called circumventing the cap. Exactly. So yeah, and Paling, the soonest he can come off and play is Saturday. Um, That's the soonest he's eligible because, you know, it's 10 games, 24 days, whichever's longer. So um, it seems like he's getting close, although it's really hard to say because he's been in and out, you know, step backs, all that. So, um, 
the, okay, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, so paling, pa- when, when paling comes off long to my R, someone would have had to go down. Uh, okay, I remember where I was. And again, you cannot like wave Danton Heiner or wave Josh Archibald because like I said, you would have had to be on the AHL roster at the time of the trade deadline. They were not. Sending down Nylander, sending down O'Connor were your only options. And also O'Connor now requires waivers. He was exempt for most of the season. He hit his minimum, like his, you know, threshold um, on Tuesday. So now if you were to send O'Connor down, he requires waivers. Nylander still exempt from waivers because if you get called up, you have 10 games, 30 days before you need it again. So basically you probably would have had to send Nylander back down um, if you had kept him. And now if you would have kept him um, for these couple days until Palin comes back, that would have been one more of your standard recalls. You would have been down to two. But you know you would have had to send him back when Palin comes off long term IR. And then give it a week or so after Palin comes back, and then you would bank enough cap space to bring Nylander back up. Then you would have used another one of your standard recalls. You would have been down to one for the last month of the season, which just does not seem smart. So... is is Nylander worth using one of your standard recalls? Yes. Is he worth using two? No. Um, so I, right. I, so I, I think I think management definitely deserves a, a considerable amount of flack for putting putting themselves in a situation like this where they they literally can't have a player up right at or it, it at least wouldn't make sense to have a player up right now that probably or at least potentially could be helping them, um, but. In isolation, when you when you look specifically at this move and, and what's going on here, it's like okay, like yes, they would they would just be f- doing further damage by converting his emergency recall yes. into a standard recall right now, and and that's coming from someone who just said mm-hmm. they need to figure out what they have in this guy. They need to get him in the lineup for a stretch of games here. Um, and I, like I said earlier, he's 25 now. I'm not all that convinced that there's. You know, you wait another year from now. I'm not convinced that he's going to be all that much better than the player he is right now, right? So why wouldn't you try and capture that when you have it going on right now? There's a there's a lot of evidence that suggests players of his caliber hit their stride and really peak around 24, 25, 26 years old, and he's 25 right now. So that's lining up with this window. Get him in the friggin' yeah. lineup. Maybe he can be that trade deadline addition that never rolled around. Yeah, that's why people are like, oh, they need to get... I, I got a tweet saying, like, they need to get youth into the lineup, and they named it Nylander, and they named it Kajula, which Kajula is 28 Kajula. years old. <laughs> Nylander's older than, like, Ryan Paling. Like, these yeah. aren't, like, these aren't prospects. Um, they're just guys who are lighting up in the minors. But yeah, Nylander, I think we'll see him back. So Burke, again, when Burke was on the Wilkes-Barre show, um, he said, you know, we're very pleased with his progress as a player. It hasn't been as fast maybe as we would have liked, but it's been steady and he's really turned into a complete hockey player. So they like his overall game, but he did acknowledge that, you know, so at this time, Nylander had not gone down yet. He said, um, I'm not sure how long he'll stay, he'll stay right now because we have roster and cap issues. It might be a brief stay. We don't know yet, but he certainly acquitted himself well, and he's earned a second shot if he does get sent back. He'll get another shot, I think. So that that that's everyone's kind of on the same page. You know, I, I this long explanation of why they had to do what they do. I tweeted it, um, and and Thursday in the press box, someone from the front office was like, "Hey, I saw your tweet about the Nylander situation." It's you know, yes, that's 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 what? what's going on here. So that that it's not the management hates them. So they they don't want them up here. It's just that you know the one who the front office I was talking to is like. This was literally our only option uh, right here. Like long term, this this makes sense. So I, it doesn't mean we're not going to see Nylander. Yeah. What would Pittsburgh do without our resident cap genius? Right. 
Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to tell the people that you can't wave Jeff Carter. <laughs> you, can't, you can't buy my art. You can't trade Jeff Carter. Um, how long her my art works? Yeah, I don't know. Because you hear some of the people in the press box talk about, you know, you over here like other writers, and sometimes it's a little painful listening to it. I'm like, I want to well, straighten What's more painful isn't that it's just wrong, but, and like, I'm, I'd like to think I've got a, a decent understanding of a lot of the nuances here, but obviously I rely on you for a lot of that. And like, I hear a lot of it firsthand from you. So when I hear incorrect things, it's like, uh, okay, that's kind of funny. But then you hear just the conviction with which it's said. And it's just like, no, that is, that is not right. It, it's always the most arrogant people. They're like, well, to me, the answer is clear. They should just obviously do this and it's something that literally is not possible like they obviously obviously should just wave date line and then send them down to walk street it's like okay well the reason why that's not an easy decision is because you can't do that uh, <laughs> not this time here um good good place to mention this so as one does i don't know it was like 2 a.m the other night and i'm 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 reading um the nhl bylaws not the cba the bylaws it's like a 60 page document you know, just laying in bed, scrolling through it on my phone, <laughs> as one does. Um, and Section 12, it's it's the elig- eligibility of players um, about just who is eligible to play in the NHL. So it, this was about, um, you know, I had to bring it up because people were, um, common misconception. Is, so you can make trades after the trade deadline, but any player traded is not eligible to play in the NHL for the rest of that season. A lot of people think it's just the playoffs. It's not. It's the, it's the whole rest of the season. The reason this came out is because Anthony Angelo got traded um, to Nashville's organization. Um, whereas I think he was Columbus, maybe. I don't know. He got traded to Nashville. But he, so he can't come up the rest of the season. I want to so say that, he was with St. Louis, but uh, yes, he might yes, have, yes, he yes, might yes, have moved around. No, you're right. St. Louis. I know he was playing for Springfield. I couldn't remember whose affiliate they were now, but you're right. Um, teams change affiliate. But anyway, he got traded to Nashville. Totally fine. He just can't come up the rest of the season. So that it's it's in the bylaws about who's eligible. And, you know, it, you all these bullets under Section 12 of who's eligible, it's all contract cap stuff. And then the seventh bullet, it says, a player with only one eye. <laughs> Or one of those eyes who has a vision of only three sixty and surrender is not eligible to play. So it's all this contract <laughs> half stuff, and it's also nobody with only one eye. So fun little, and shambles. <laughs> fun, fun little uh, takeaway from the NHL bylaws. If you ever want to, um, you need some some light. If you're ever bored laying in bed at two a.m., <laughs> just read the NHL bylaws. It'll put you to sleep. No, but I thought that was funny. Um, we're, the fact that we're talking about section 12.7 in the NHL bylaws probably tells you it's a good time to wrap this up. Yeah, prob- probably time to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's it for, for this week. Um, if you're new here, we drop episodes every Saturday. Um, we're on Spotify, Audible, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also now on YouTube, um, on the DK Pittsburgh Sports YouTube. If you want to watch us for some reason, if that interests you, you can do that. Um, you subscribe there. You can see when we drop new episodes. Subscribe to us on Spotify, wherever it is. Um, so again, every Saturday, we hope you join us uh, next week. Thanks for watching and listening.